You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Money's never driven me. And so that's an e for me, it's always been kind of easy to um, make decisions because money hasn't been a primary motivator. And also the idea of not being afraid to fail because you really do owe it to yourself to be strong inside and to stay focused on what you want to do. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love Main Radio, show number 229, Following Bliss, airing for the first time on Sunday, February 7, 2016. Mythologist and philosopher Joseph Campbell is perhaps best known for his suggestion that we follow our bliss. Today we speak with two individuals who, separately and without prompting, reference this quote in their interviews and describe the ways in which they have attempted to do just that. Our guests are Deirdre Nice, Executive Director of St. Lawrence Arts, and landscape artist Jane Damon. We hope they inspire you to find ways to follow your own bliss. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Apothecary by Design. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines prepared by experienced professionals with a focus on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way that it's meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine's seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, the front room, the grill room, and the corner room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. Having lived in Maine for many years, um, it's, it's been interesting to follow the career of Deirdre Nice, who is now the executive and artistic director of St. Lawrence Arts up on the East End. She's also the co-founder of Silly's Restaurant on Washington Avenue, and she's done many, many other things. Um, but it's really kind of fun for me to finally meet you because your reputation is, it's, it's enormous, really. You've done so much for this part of the world, and I thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. I love Portland. Well, tell me about that. Tell me, how, how did you end up in this fair city? My dad got a job at Chevers. Uh, I grew up in Saudi Arabia, and um, when we got back to the States, we moved for, for a short time to his hometown in Newburyport, Mass., and he was looking, he was an English teacher, and he was looking around for jobs. And I remember that summer filling out a zillion, um, sending out lots of resumes. And he got a couple hits, and one of them was in Arizona, and that's what I was pushing for because I was, had come from a hot climate. And the other one was at Chevers in Maine. And I was like, oh, jeepers creepers. But we came up here. I graduated from high school in Maine, and I have gone away, you know, here or there, you know, on little trips and stuff. But it's really nice. Uh, to be able to call Maine home. I just love it. it it's interesting because I have a lot of friends who grew up in Arabia as expats, and there is a sense of, like, not ever feeling at home anywhere, and um, I think that I've been able to 
you know, surpa- you know, to somehow get over that. I, I, I think of myself as a Mainer, although technically I know I never will be because I wasn't born here, but, <laughs> but my nephews are. <laughs> well, I, I'm with you. I mean, my family is all from Maine, and I happen to be born in Vermont. The few years that my parents were out of state getting an education, and so I'm no—I'm actually not a Mainer either. <sighs> Despite all of this, it doesn't really matter. You just—you're right. <laughs> but, but you came and you've been here a long time, and, and I would say, um, having been a resident on India Street, well, formerly, um, the, I think it was the bottom of a church. Now they have a big main medical center as a big, beautiful yes. building across the way. But I was in the basement of that. Well, I think they had turned it into a school by that time. Um, I have seen so much change on the East End, on Munjoy Hill. And a lot of it, you've kind of had a hand in. Well, I think me and lots of other people. But I will say that um, like Silly's, where the Union Bagel Company is now and where Katie Made Bakery used to be as well, that used to be an old Jewish uh, kosher meat market. And I remember we were looking around, my sister and I, for a um, permanent location for the idea of a little restaurant. And that little location was always closed. And I drove by one December and talked to the old guy. And, you know, we ended up there and our rent was $125 a month for the first year and then it went up by like 10% a year for the first five years so it was really amazing we had wa- we'd worked at Sam's Harbor lunch down on waterfront we wanted to have our own place and we were looking at India Street and back in the 80s India Street was really expensive in the 80s and so was the waterfront somewhat but right around the corner at the tip of Kennedy Park was this cute little spot $125 and our thought was so you know, we could do that and still be waitresses and totally fail. So that's a key to actually, I think a key to my life is that I've never been afraid to actually fall flat on my face and fail. So Silly's was interesting. And ever since then, 1988, when we opened up Silly's there, um, it's been a thriving little corner on the corner of Cumberland and Smith. And then we bought the building around the corner in 1995 and opened up the larger building, um, the larger restaurant in 97. And wow, now you go up and down Washington Avenue and it's just amazing all the, you know, ethnic restaurants and all the different choices. That's a real huge change. We were there when Nissen's was still there. And when Vito's Bakery, where Coffee by Design is now, they would come over in their little caps and we'd trade them uh, the end of the night pizza for some bread and that kind of thing. So, and then somehow I got into uh, the St. Lawrence once and it, and then it came for sale. And so I was able to buy it with, when my dad died, um, I had a $15,000 um, endowment uh, or whatever um, inheritance. And I plopped it all down on that building. And so I have definitely been around, you know, that neighborhood enough to see it come from, you know, kind of sketchy to really rejuvenated on so many different levels. It's really beautiful little neighborhood and it's still very um you know diverse it's a lot of fun i i think you're right about the diversity because it's not as if it is entirely gentrified there are still families who have lived on the hill who have lived there a really long time yeah and i think gentrification is an interesting term because um in order to 
whenever anybody fixes up a building, you contribute slightly to the gentrification. So it's not, it's not a negative term. You know, if you paint the outside of your building, your neighbor comes along and says, geez, I think I'll paint my building. So there is certainly something going on up there with a lot of the condos and, you know, an idea that perhaps, you know, people are being priced out. But I would like to say that, you know, I think the the diversity on Mondray Hill hasn't changed that much. You know, there, the East End Community School, um, where I volunteer every week um, as part of their uh, Rise and Shine program. It's a wonderful part of my life. I should have put that in what brings you joy in your question or whatever. Um, it's, you know, it's 79% free lunch, you know, and it will always be up there. There are neighborhoods that will, you know, Mondro Hill can never actually ultimately just become a haven for, you know, the wealthy and well-heeled. It will always kind of, and it's always done this. It's in, I think if you look back on its history, it's always had changes and, you know, that's what neighborhoods do. So I see most of the changes on the hill to be real positive. And um, I'm actually feeling really good to be, uh, I feel great about being involved in a project that will be part of fixing up an entire neighborhood block. And we've been at it for over 20 years now and will serve everybody on the hill. You know, whether you want, you have $5 to come into to a, we do it now, but when we have the bigger space, um, bigger performance hall, um, $5 to go to a show, great, 50 bucks. We'll have all of those shows. So gentrification is an interesting, it's a, it, it, it's a, uh, it's a hot topic and uh, sort of, what do you call it, one of those hot words where it can mean a lot of different things to different people. Tell me about St. Lawrence Arts and why it was so important to you that you take this former church and make something out of it. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been asked that a lot. I, I, I can't really be that specific about why it was important to me, except for that um, I spent my life traveling when I was younger um, overseas. And although I didn't come from a religious background of any sorts, we were in and out of churches all the time because when you travel, they are community buildings, they are where people gather, and they often are just quite beautiful. So I've spent a lot of time in churches, not in a religious sense. And then when the St. Lawrence came up, it came for sale and I'd spent all those years down the hill, um, we delivered up there all the time. So I was Pete's delivery girl and whatever. And uh, I just remember it was such a beautiful building from the outside, never been in. As a matter of fact, a lot of people on the hill had never been in because it had been closed for a long time. And before that, it had a dwindling congregation, which I think is typical of old, these old churches. So when the guy who was selling it came into my restaurant and said he was selling it and it was 60 grand, it turned out to be 73, but I was like, wow, I could buy that. And when I walked into the building, the architect, Arthur Bates Jennings, he, he has only um, designed two buildings in the state of Maine. It's the Norm Bega, which is a bed and breakfast up in Camden, and the St. Lawrence. And he didn't design a typical church. It was not very typically um, congregational either, which are kind of wooden buildings and, um, you know, not a lot of flash. This building was this incredible granite structure, and I love granite. Uh, took up the entire city block. It was grand and 
just it looked like a castle it was magical and when I walked in I just thought arts this would make a beautiful art center and it has actually we've been open since 2001 in the parish hall and you know just from the moment of opening up the building not really knowing who would be the users which was something that we had said for years like if we built it they will come they did in droves and we haven't been we haven't had one season yet that isn't absolutely chock full of just every type of um you know artistic endeavor that you can imagine the other side of the building was more of a challenge and we continued to try to fix it and the long and short there is that we had a beautiful plan uh had got an amazing grant in 1995 from or 2005 rather from jane's trust was able to pass that plan through the city of Portland basically um, and all right sorry while we had we, we were in the middle of this beautiful uh, this great grant for $250,000 to redesign the other side of the building in place as we had the parish hall and it collapsed so we had to take it down so one of the things about this project would be you just have to have a lot of faith I guess would be one way to put it and also perseverance we took it down we re we designed a building that basically replicated the old building. We got it passed, went out to the funding community, and they said, way too much money. You, you can't raise, it was $17 million price tag. So we went back to the drawing board, and now we've redesigned a beautiful modern building with some historic uh, attributes that ha has a relationship to the parish hall. And we've reduced the price by $10 million. It's a $7 million project. So was the question like, why did I get involved? I don't know. It's just a, it's really interesting. You get to be part of a community. You get to be part of the arts. You meet the most interesting people in the arts. They are what I think has, you know, in some way pushed our society in all of the cool directions it's ever gone in. And um, that's just really a joy. I, I like that. I mean, I think that what I keep hearing from you and my experience of Silly's personally is um, some sense of importance of community building. I mean, you, your restaurant, when I, I, I think when I was a resident, I, my special occasion was always the falafel wrap. And it was, I, was, um, I am a vegetarian, so I would go to your restaurant, and there were all kinds of things that I could eat. So even the food that you served was very inclusive. And now you're describing you know, the East End or St. Lawrence as just being very inclusive. And anybody who can come, you know, come along. You know, we're happy to have you. Yeah, you know, it, it's an interesting thing. I, I One thing for sure in my life is that it's ne money's never driven me. And so that's an e – for me, it's always been kind of easy to um, make decisions because money hasn't been a primary motivator. And also the idea of not being afraid to fail. And Silly's is a good example because, you know, I don't even know if anybody, unless they were from the Middle East, knew what falafel was. You know, certainly not in that neighborhood at the time. And we had shish kebab. We had all this vegetarian stuff. You know, we had tabbouleh. We had, you know, baba ganoush and all this other stuff. It was a lot of fun. And we, we ended up getting a lot of the vegetarian crowd. And then little by little by little, we would... We, but we didn't know that there was a there, you know, that that was something that would actually catch on so much as that we, you know, wanted to do it, and um, certainly the idea of 
building businesses that ha- somehow involve like being part of a, the community that you're in has been, I think, really important. A community means different things for different people. It's not like I want to be around people all the time. <laughs> but, you know, without community or where you, without getting involved in where you live, you know, I love living here. Um, I wouldn't really want to live anywhere else. Um, and I love being a part of my town, and and I just see it as sort of a win-win, you know, because I, I have a great job, and I'm hope you know, one day somebody else will have my great job, which is, I'm hoping for. And like Silly's, for example, the gal that owns it now, she's a great gal, Colleen Kelly, wonderful. And uh, look what she's done with it. You know, we sold it back in 2003, and she's just, like, taken the reins and run right with it and made it even better and just as kitschy and odd and fun. She's, like, the perfect person to buy it, so. And she's a big community person, so it's kind of fun to sort of pass the baton to somebody who felt that um, urge as well. It's also been interesting for me to see... uh, how my children have responded to things like Sillies or the East End. My kids, I have um, 15-year-old, a 20-year-old, 22-year-old. So I would bring them to places like Sillies. We would go to Amato's on India Street. You know, we would go, we would take advantage of the East End. But at that time, it was kind of like a new place of exploration for me, being a kid from the suburbs. And it's become part of their fabric. I mean, they're home from college and they're saying, can we go to Silly's? Can we take a walk on the Eastern Prom? So it's become kind of a multi-generational thing. And it's almost as if somehow their neighborhood, their sense of Maine has expanded just by virtue of some of the changes that have happened over the past several decades. I agree. And I have to say, um, it's funny over the years, I run into people and I've watched their kids grow up at Silly's. And I think I made a pack with myself that I'd stop asking them how old those kids were because they start to be 30 and 40 years old now so but um yeah I mean Silly's had a huge impact on kids I mean and their families because it's very family friendly and a lot of that stuff actually just developed it was just it, it in some way we didn't really design it it just happened because of our openness to just about anything and so like the whole idea of all those photographs with Eat It Sillies. I think originally my sister went somewhere and she made, put a photograph up and then people just started taking those stickers and we had one rule which is don't actually stick it on you know the Mona Lisa or anything like that. Um, but you know people started to send their photographs back from wherever they're traveling around the world and those photographs are still up there and yeah I think that I think kids you know when they have a, a place that is not necessarily just a place you go in the mall that you, you can see anywhere in anywhere you know USA that's kind of unique and recognizes them and they can contribute something there there goes their photo up on the wall you know I, it's, it's it's a pretty neat thing to be able to do and I think part of that is just being open you know to not necessarily being rigid about what what sillies is for example the name had nothing to do with being silly it was actually just something we came up with and turns out it was so much fun, and it means so much to different people. So, and you made jerk chicken. I think we were the first jerk chicken people. Tell me about some of your favorite 
artists that it, you've come into contact with at St. Lawrence? Wow. You know, we've had a lot of, in the early days of the St. Lawrence, we booked anything and everything. And so I don't know that I could specifically come up with, um, with, you know, some of those were my favorite ones, you know. Um, Slade Cleves has got to be like one of my favorite artists. And also he's a friend. And I have a funny little story with a silly St. Lawrence connection, which was I had bought the St. Lawrence and I owned it with a partner. And I kept on trying to convince this guy to be a nonprofit. And finally, he got out of it and I was able to form a nonprofit. And it, we formed a nonprofit in 96. And Slade uh, Cleves and Chris Moore did the very first um, benefit concert for the St. Lawrence in the backyard of Silly's. We got a keg donated by David Geary. Geary's one of my favorite beers. And um, we raised 300 bucks. And we hauled that keg up to the St. Lawrence. And I think that Chris Moore and Slade Cleves are the only artists that I know since I've been involved with the project that have ever played on the stage in the former sanctuary, which now doesn't exist. So that's kind of neat. So he's definitely one of my favorite. All those artists that are on the Greetings from Area Code 207 CDs, all the local people that have donated over the years, I just really think that we're so lucky to live here with all this talent right here. You know, oftentimes people think that you have to go away for the stuff, and it's like some of the, some geniuses live right around us, and um, a lot of those folks are my favorite. I, you know, honestly, we've had so much stuff. I it's hard for me to really pick out. Um, David Mallet, I grew up with his music. When I moved to Maine, I was 16 years old, and I started listening to David Mallet, and then tried to convince him to come and play at the St. Lawrence for years and years and years. And then finally was successful sometime, you know, maybe eight years ago. Definitely one of my favorites. His kids are playing around, and I got them to do a few acoustic shows at the St. Lawrence. But Cheapers, we've had uh, Cape Verde uh, music. Actually, folks that have flown from Cape Verde stayed with a Cape Verdean friend and played at the St. Lawrence. So a friend of mine who I uh, did a radio show before mine, he's married to a Cape Verdean woman, and he would bring these uh, Cape Verdean artists to... um, over the years, the St. Lawrence, and I, I was contacted by this woman's um, uh, manager, and she said, do you know the artist Maria DeBarros? And I was like, are you kidding? I named one of my cats after Maria DeBarros. So my cat, one of my cat's name was actually Maria DeBarros, the whole name. So we, we've had a lot of world music, a lot of fun stuff, and I, 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 it would be hard for me to actually pick and choose because they're all it's, all, it's a great place to hear any kind of music and wonderful place for theater spoken word. Really early on, a friend of mine, Madeline Slavic, lived in um, Hong Kong, brought a uh, Chinese uh, poet. This is one of the very first years we were open who did his poetry in Chinese. It was really, and, and, and Madeline, um, you know, translated it. Uh, it's just, there's so, there's so much that we've done over the years. We've been busy for, you know, 15 years. I think we're going to our 16th year. And who do you have coming up that you're especially interested in? Oh, you know, when I I have to say this is an interesting thing. So Sid, Sid, Sid Cindy Bullens, um, who has been on a bunch of our CDs, um, is now Sid Bullens, and um, he's going to do a one-woman show um, in May, 
And I'm really excited about that because, you know, like so many other issues in our society, there's an issue that has come full circle. And, um, you know, Cindy Bullens has played at the St. Lawrence. And now Sid Bullens will do a a one-person show about uh, that whole journey that he's had uh, as a mother and as a, you know, an artist. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. We have some interesting theater coming up. We're booking a bunch of music this summer that I'm excited about that we haven't necessarily confirmed. But, yeah, a lot of bluegrass and some acoustic Americana music and lots of theater. Uh, there's a flamenco show coming up in, uh, in May as well, and then another a more... Um, multimedia flamenco and dance show coming up in june yeah, it's going to be a fun summer over there what was your favorite thing about um working with wmpg i love wmpg i started working there in the old days um when um the training was really rudimentary and that was a lot of fun and records were our primary source of how we were able you know we'd to get the record up and uh, little by little um, you know it's been able to grow as a as a community radio station I like the freedom I there wasn't a lot of uh, pretense I did a music show and I could play any type of music I wanted although my my primary um, form of music was Americana bluegrass acoustic folky stuff but I did a lot of interviews and interviewed a lot of artists over the years and got to, lot, I got to talk to a lot of interesting people. But mostly I got to play music for two hours a week. And that was what I was doing. So I got to listen to music for two hours a week. And just that, that was a lot of fun because, you know, when you have a busy life, sometimes actually taking the time out in your life to just do listen to music, which I think is incredibly important. I think it's music is the universal language. Um, I love that about it. And uh, I'll tell you a, a goofy little story. So the old days, uh, Peter Twitchell was our station manager. And it was back in the days where we didn't have a lot of money. It was very, you know, we have hundreds of volunteers. And somebody had called up and I'd made a joke. Like, if anybody calls up, I'll do my show in my underwear. And it's a radio show. So, um my mother happened to be there. My mother does a show on WMPG on Sundays called Eastern Sands Radio, and she's done it for 25 years now. She started the year after I did, and um, 3.30 to 5 on Sundays, WMPG. And in any case, Peter, uh, who, we were raising money for Begathon, and he goes, Deirdre, somebody called in and said, they'll give us 50 bucks if you do it in your underwear. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And so I stripped down and did the remainder of the show in my underwear for 50 bucks. <laughs> I, lo- I don't know if you could do that today. <laughs> I don't know if the they'd go for it, but back then it was fun. Yeah, and I can I can assure anybody who's listening, I will I will not ever do the the, the Love Main Radio in my underwear. So they're gonna have to uh, <laughs> they're gonna have to go maybe maybe for a little bit more than fifty dollars. Maybe I would go for higher. Who really knows? That's funny, Deirdre. How can people find out about St. Lawrence? Well, our website is the best way to do it, stlawrencearts.org, S-T-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E-A-R-T-S.org. And we're on the web, obviously. We have a Facebook page, uh, St. Lawrence Arts, and that's a great way to keep 
up to date, but really our our, our website uh, we that's where our calendar is. That's where the history, um, the future, and you know just about anything you'd ever want to know. All the upcoming events, and I would actually just like to say um, we are just about to go. We're just about to finish up the planning process for the new performance hall, which will be a four hundred and one seat performance hall that will add to the performance hall that we have now which is about a hundred seats with the risers and one of I would go and to our website to look up the designs that we have um, we have a beautiful room at the top of this performance hall that will be built um, that has that east end view that everybody has if you live in one of the fancy places but this will be a public facility and uh, with that incredible 360-degree view of the harbor and the mountains and everything, with a beautiful new performance hall, mid-sized, which is something that's hard to find in this town. And so we'll have, you know, a 400-seat room. We'll have a 100-seat auditorium. Um, and when you take the risers away, more than that. And the room at the top uh, is probably will seat 200 people. So we'll have a nice variety of spaces. I encourage people to do that, to go out and find out more about St. Lawrence Arts. And I'm really um, thrilled that you took the time to come in and talk with me today as somebody having, as I said at the beginning, known about you for so many years and kind of watching your work from a distance and seeing the great success you've had, just basically following following what it was that you felt you should be doing. I, I give you a lot of credit because you were out there doing things that maybe not everybody always understood and yet they were so true who said it did joseph campbell say follow your bliss was that or was that leo Bascalia? i forget but that was joseph campbell was indeed. it joseph campbell so i think that that uh, that's definitely something that i've done in my life that's it's nice to hear that somebody's been following me i i didn't know that i had a following you're like a little <laughs> you're like a little mean superstar there you go oh that's sweet We've been speaking with Deirdre Nice, who is the executive and artistic director of St. Lawrence Arts, and she's the co-founder of Silly's Restaurant on Washington Avenue. Thanks for coming in today and for all the good work you've done. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you folks having me on. Thanks, Lisa. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough, and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland, easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaME.com for more information. Today it is my great pleasure to speak with Jane Damon, who is a landscape artist based on the Midcoast. Jane is considered to be a contemporary realist in her art. She is working with the Lincoln Theater to bring artists and curators who are making a substantial contribution to Maine in front of a live audience for one-on-one conversations. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So Jane, you have been an artist for quite some time now. (laughs) Many years, too many. (laughs) Well, tell me about that. Well, I painted ever since I was a young child. It was just a proclivity of mine, and I painted throughout my whole growing up years, through grammar school, high school, and then I went to a liberal arts school, and I majored in art history, which I still to this day love. 
<clears throat> but I was always painting on the side, and I got out of uh, school, and I had jobs, but meanwhile I was always painting for my own pleasure. Um, and then I got married, and we moved to New Hampshire, and I had two children, and I started doing silkscreen printmaking, which was a medium that lent itself to small periods of time when the kids were growing up. And that was very satisfying, but still just a hobby. But I accumulated so many prints. I gave away as many as I could. I framed them from my own house. And then someone offered to sell some for me. And I said, oh, I'll, I'd love that. And that actually began, me to, began to make me think this could be a career. So I started on that path, and we moved to Concord, Mass, where our kids grew up, and I took ca classes at the museum school for the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, and painted in gouache and oil, sold many small paintings of Maine and uh, of other places, and one day I had a studio in the center of Concord. Somebody gave me an eight-foot-by-eight-foot eight canvas, which I did not know what to do with, but I was intrigued, and I watched that canvas every day when I went in there to my studio and looked at it for a whole year. Meanwhile, I was w walking in the woods with my husband every morning and looking at the woods and thinking it, it just felt so spiritual in the woods, the, the noises, the sights. I loved the trees, and I just was unsuccessful painting them. But one day I walked into my studio and I put a streak of paint from the top of that canvas to the bottom, and it was the tree trunk, and I just kept going, and it was the first painting that I was able to do of the woods. And I've been doing that ever since. That's what I'm doing today. But I'm painting on doors. I, I love the paintings of yours that hang in the Portland Art Gallery. I think some of my favorites are ones that are birch trees. <laughs> I love birches. Well, and it, what's interesting, I'm not a painter, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be really an artist, but what's interesting in having spoken to other artists is they tell me that trees are actually not as easy to paint as one might think. Well, it's challenging painting trees in a setting because there's a lot going on and you have to make sense of it. There's a lot of debris falling over trees, branches and whatnot. So yes, it's a challenge, but um, I love challenges. <laughs> and anyway, you're an artist. Everybody's born an artist of some kind, or some, some kind or other. People don't realize that, but everybody's creative in their own way. Well, I will. I appreciate that. I will. I'm going to keep that in my <laughs> keep that in my mind, in my heart. What does it What does it mean to be a contemporary realist? Well, it's a way of saying that what I paint is recognizable, but it's filtered through my own mind, and I'm as interested in painting what's in here as what's out there. So I guess you could describe it that way. And how did you end up here in Maine? I went to school here. I went to Colby College. I always loved the landscape, and I we sailed up here when we lived in Massachusetts, and We'd come up on the weekends, and we always had a an anchor that we would leave the boat at, and we had a little bike that we took with us, and we'd go back and get our car. And we loved it up here, but we didn't see a way that we could make a living up here. But when my husband retired in 2004, we moved up here. And since you've been here, you've actually become a very active member of the community, including um, through the work that you've done with the Lincoln Theater. Right. Well, I like to give back wherever I live. 
I did that in Concord. I started an art center out of an old school building. It took a year out of my life. I didn't paint for that year, but it's still going. It's very successful and it makes me feel good. This program up in Damascata, um, you know, the Skadumpa, which is an award-winning library, has Chats for Champions, and that's programs that offer the audience a look at some author in a new book. But nobody was really showing artists and what, the, what was going on with artists. So I thought we should do that at the Lincoln Theater. We should invite artists who are uh, doing something great in Maine and uh, interview them. We learn so much. I mean, I really do my homework. I love reading about other artists. I love talking to them. I love asking them questions. And I always learn a lot. We've had wonderful, we've had wonderful artists come talk with us. Who have you had? Well, we had Alex Katz recently. He was very good. We had uh, Lois Dodd. She's delightful. She's 80 years old and acts like she's 20. We had Yvonne Jaquette, who paints from on high. She's called the Aerial Muse. She's just very beautiful painter. Um, and we've had, um, trying to think who else, uh, we had curators. Um, Sharon Corwin from Colby College, who's a rock star curator. She's just terrific. And if you haven't seen that Colby College Museum, it is a winner. It's the biggest museum in Maine now that they've gotten all these wonderful gifts that they recently got. And uh, we had Suzette McAvoy from the uh, Center for Contemporary Art talking about the new building and all the exciting things going on there. So, and we had Eric Hopkins, who was just wonderful, very personal guy. I love him. So we've had a lot of good people, and we have people lined up for this year, too. Why do you think it's important to have these conversations and to have other people listen to them? Well, it's uh, important for all people, whether you're an artist or not. You can learn a lot by talking to people. For instance, when we had Alex Katz come, one of the things I was fascinated with was he was turned down by everybody in the beginning of his career. Nobody liked what he was doing. He did well in school at Cooper Union, but when he got out, he didn't want to paint what he had painted in school. He wanted to paint his own thing. And he started doing these incredible paintings that people said, oh, that's terrible. Don't do that. And he turned down awards and everything because he had this inner drive. And I said, Alex, where did you get this confidence at such a young age? And he said, I don't know, you know, but it, it was just that he never gave up on himself. He believed in himself. And I think that was very instructive. I think people really were impressed with that. I was. What are some of the other things that you've learned from the artists who have come in to speak? Well, uh, of course, I've learned a lot of things about their process. Um, I'm a painter. I spend every day in my studio, and I love to hear what other people do and how they come up with their ideas to, for, for what to paint, how the paintings, how, the, how the, um, the artwork satisfies them in some way, what they get out of it, um, their motivations, their inspirations, and their, some of the, the pratfalls that they've overcome. We've had people who are curators also on the show, and it, it's, it's fascinating to me because there's a very special art involved with actually curating, actually bringing together a, a group of paintings or pieces so that other people can enjoy them. There's a great uh, skill in hanging shows well. Sharon Corwin at Colby does a great job at that. Um, she was given, uh, or Colby College was given, uh, 
a 500-piece collection from Peter and Paula Lunder recently worth over $100 million or some ungodly thing. And Alex Katz has given them 700 paintings. But to hang the paintings well and to make them, to show them at their best is a real knack that Sharon has. And if you go and look at one of her shows that she's hung, she, she has her hand in all of it, you will see that she makes connections that you might not make. But she is very good at that. So uh, I think all her shows are really interesting from that point of view, if nothing else. You also have an interesting... Um family and that your daughter recently returned, I believe, from Peru? She's married to a Peruvian, so she's traveled there, but no, they met in Massachusetts. He's a musician, and so is she. And uh, yes, they, they have a wonderful band called the Flying Seeds. I think they're going to go out as a duo because they find it a lot more creative and a lot easier than working with all these other people, especially now that they've moved to Maine. So... Um, but we're very excited about what they're doing. And I don't want to detract from your other child. What is your other child doing? Well, I have another wonderful child who's living out in Vancouver, and he's an architect. So both of our children are artists of one kind or another, and he's also involved with sustainable building materials. He's very interested in rammed earth, making rammed earth blocks for building houses because one of the biggest drains on the, on the environment is building materials that are shipped all over the world. Concrete is a huge, huge energy problem. Do you think that it helped your kids that you had this interest in the arts? Well, you would have to ask them. I mean, at times it probably wasn't a help. <laughs> they used to say to me, Mom, go to your studio as they were growing up because they knew it was where I found solace and peace and happiness. But yes, maybe it was good because I gave them the freedom. And my husband is also very creative. He had his own business, and he was creative and unusual. We all needed a lot of downtime in our family. We all spent a lot of time alone within the family because we each needed it. We didn't realize it at the time, but now looking back on it, I think we all realize and appreciate the fact that we we needed to be alone. But... Um, yeah, I think we gave our kids the freedom to do whatever was in their heart. We never said, no, you can't do that. And uh, so probably because we're artists. That's an unusual thing to have, a family full of people who like to be by themselves. Cuckoo? <laughs> well, I mean, I like to be by myself, and I don't know that it's cuckoo. I just think it's it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. That no, it's all. true. I think we all gave each other space. And when I was bringing up my kids, it wasn't exactly thought to be a good thing to shut your door on your kids and say, I need some time to be alone, but I did that. And they respected that. They didn't, they knew this was mom's time to be alone. I didn't do it when they were two and three, but, and I liked being with my kids. I always enjoyed them. I learned as much from them as I think they learned from me. And I tried to be part of their lives as they were growing up. I certainly wasn't a perfect mom, but I, I went and got my daughter out of school when her cat had kittens because I wanted her to see it. <laughs> I didn't tell the teacher why I was taking her out. But, you know, and we took the kids on trips and took them out of school to take them because we felt that life is a long life and it's a lot of experiences and you don't want to give up any. I'm sure that you have the opportunity to work with younger artists and people who are newly in their field. What types of challenges do you see for um, people who are just getting into this work? 
Well, probably the biggest one is to try somehow to hold your confidence, hold that inner knowing that you are doing the right thing. Um, if you really want to be an artist, you have to be confident a lot of the time. I'm, I'm not talking about being a braggart or anything like that. I'm talking about when everybody's saying you shouldn't be doing A, you can do it. You know, um, don't go off and, and try and do what pleases other people. It's, it's folly. Stay with, um, with who you are and believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, who else is going to? You can convince a lot of people that what you're doing is right if you believe in it. And then I would say, too, to protect yourself a little bit, don't let everybody into your studio. I used to let everyone come into my space. And you know, you're very vulnerable in there and you're doing something that's very personal. It's a kind of a spiritual, sacred place. So don't just let everybody in there because even good comments about what you're doing can be influential and it can affect you. So I would say uh, be careful that way a little bit. And then um, as people are gaining artistic um, experience. I would say I learned from reading Mark Rothko. He said it's as important what you choose not to do as what you do. So try to focus at some point, not in the very beginning. You want to try all kinds of things, but most artists can do a lot of things. They can do a lot of things well. But you, if you focus on one thing, you're probably going to get better at it, and it may really be your voice. That's an interesting point because I think that in this day and age we have access to lots of things. We can we can access almost anything we want, any piece of information, any type of education. And so to be able to sort of hone down what it is that we feel most connected to, maybe it's a little bit more challenging than it once was. Well, that's true. With the Internet and everything, you can waste a lot of time looking up things. You can be on Facebook every day. It's true, I think it's more challenging the more information is available. But I think the satisfying good life is to slow it down and look inward and say, what is it I really, really want to do? What means the most to me? And uh, somehow that having an integrated life and feeling that you're doing what you are supposed to do is really, really healthy. Do you ever happen across other individuals who are later in their lives or in their careers who um, started off on one path and then t kind of took a right turn? Oh, all the time. I think it's great when that happens. Um, and they probably, I hope they don't regret what they started out doing because it probably, it probably the experience probably added to what they're doing now. Um, and I meet a lot of people in my studio when we have an open house or in the gallery who say, oh, I've always wanted to paint. And I say, do it. What are you waiting for? And sometimes these people are not young. And they say, but I, I can't. I don't have time. I have you know, a house to pay for, and I've got kids in college. Well, then just do it part time if you have to. But uh, I'm all for, as Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. <laughs> I think it's the healthiest way to go. There's, there's something interesting to me about being an artist and, and having your piece on a wall for other people to evaluate, connect to, possibly pay for, maybe take home to their houses. I mean, you're putting yourself out in a very obvious way. 
Yes, well, it's very observant of you to notice that. When I first started showing my work, I was scared to death. I really was. I hated to go to shows that showed my work up on the wall. I would think, you know, that's me. It's like sort of taking all your clothes off and standing up and saying, well, what do you think? It's really an awful feeling. But I got over it. I got used to it. Um, and I was taught by the first gallery that I really was in that it's like stepping into a stream. The water is still going, and, and it's, not, it's going somewhere, and you're not there yet. You, this, is, this is your way along the way. What you're doing right now might be the best work you're ever going to do. You don't know that. Or you might, be gonna, you might be on the way to doing something great. So don't take it too, too seriously. Just put the work out there and be grateful if people like it. <laughs> and if they want to buy it, even better. But, I mean, I don't paint for that reason. I don't paint for other people. I really paint for myself. And I don't paint to sell the work, although I love to sell it because in this culture, if someone buys something, it means something. It means that they not only like it, but they're willing to sacrifice for it. So, uh, but... I would still do it if I wasn't paid for it. Well, that's a strong statement. Right. I suppose it is. Um, I have friends who paint and never sell anything, and I love what they do, but they are so into it, and their work does not appeal to the public. It's, it's a hard. I, I admire that. I don't know if I, I, you know, you wonder if people, if nobody liked what you did, if you'd keep doing it just for your own satisfaction. Because sometimes people die and then their work is discovered and say, and people say, wow. You know, or they're very late in their career and someone like Agnes Martin painted her whole life without any recognition until she was quite a bit older. So that happens too. <clears throat> Yeah, that's an interesting, I, I think about that often, actually, people who write books or people who paint something or people who put music out into the world and they they never know that anybody ever appreciates it, maybe because, I don't know, the cultural feeling hasn't caught up to where the yeah. the art is itself, and but they've and, still done it. Well, and historically, <clears throat> look at all the artists who painted great paintings, like Van Gogh, for instance, a great painter, one of the best painters who ever lived on the planet was never recognized when he was alive. You know, how, how hard is that? How, how, how you must have tremendous inner motivation and uh, an obsession <clears throat> to paint when nobody is giving you positive feedback. Well, clearly if he um, sliced off his ear, probably <laughs> there was something tormenting him and possibly moving him forward in a way that many of us hopefully will never have to understand. <laughs> but, but yes, I, I think that's true. And yeah, I think this idea that you're that you've brought up several times and really listening to yourself and not only listening to yourself but being propelled forward by what you're hearing. I think that's not that's not always an easy thing because there are so many other voices that we hear, so many other influences upon our lives. That sometimes it's easier just to pick one of those and follow that instruction. Absolutely. I mean, I think you've got to be very careful and be on the lookout all the time for people who make you feel insecure. Do not hang around with people like that. <laughs> Just get rid of those people. I mean, they mean well sometimes. They don't even mean to be doing what they're doing, but don't hang around with them. And don't stay in a gallery. If you're an artist, do not stay in a gallery that is putting down your work in subtle ways, it's coming into your studio and saying, 
well, I like this one and not that one. Or, you know, why don't you paint some smaller ones because we can sell them. Just go another, go somewhere else. Don't stay with that kind of um, influence because you really do owe it to yourself to be strong inside and to stay focused on what you want to do. If it takes listening to tapes or listening to your show or listening to or reading books, whatever it takes to build up your inner confidence, I think that's a big factor in a healthy life. I really do. I think believing in yourself, uh, having the courage to uh, to choose what you want to do. Listening to that little voice isn't easy. You're right. I think it need, you need some time alone to hear it and uh, and know that it's really you speaking and not some voice that you've heard your mother or your father who again might be well-meaning but might not have how do they know what's in your brain or what's in your mind or your body they don't who's coming up for you at the Lincoln Theater that you think people would be interested in hearing from well we have um, the first one we have is John Bisbee who is a wonderful sculptor who uses 12 inch nails he's in Brunswick and I love his work and we have uh, Anna Hepler, who is now at the show in Portland. Uh, you can't get there from here, the biennial. She makes wonderful little intuitive uh, sculptural pieces. And then somehow or other, she turns them into these enormous museum pieces. Even she doesn't know how she does it. It's a very magical, mystical thing that she does. And Catherine Bradford, who is um, a very interesting painter, sometimes hard to understand her images are psychologically challenging. I love her work, I always have, and uh, I can't wait to hear what she has to say. And then we're having William Wegman, who is a poet, artist, writer, and photographer of his great Weimaraners, which are dogs, which he dresses up in costumes, and he is a very funny man, so I'm looking forward to meeting him too. How can people find out about the work that you're doing with the Lincoln Theater, or the work that you do as an artist, really? Well, I have a website um, for my art, which just Google Jane Damon. It's D-A-H-M-E-N. The Lincoln Theater um, series can be uh, is advertised in uh, Main Home and Design. We are trying to get grants and uh, for both advertising and to record these um, talks, um, and also to, so we can have more local artists come. Uh, who are very talented, and we'd love to have a showcase for them too. But um, we send out notices from the Lincoln Theater, and they'll be in the newspapers and in Main Home and Design. And uh, I think if you if you Google the Lincoln Theater, you'll find uh, when these talks are coming up. We've been speaking with Jane Damon, who is a landscape artist based in the Midcoast and also who is working with the Lincoln Theater to bring artists and curators who are making a substantial contribution to Maine in front of a live audience for one-on-one -on -one conversations. Thanks so much for coming in, and thanks for the work you're doing, and thanks for being inspiring. I feel like I should go out and practice my art now, so, <laughs> so you've done a good job. Well, thank you very much. I like what you're doing, too. Thank you. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Mac Page an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. 
For more information, go to macpage.com. You have been listening to Love Maine Radio, show number 229, Following Bliss. Our guests have included Deirdre Nice and Jane Damon. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Maine Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful1 on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Maine Radio to you each week. If you'd like to actually see Jane Damon's paintings in person, visit the Portland Art Gallery. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Following Bliss show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Maine Magazine, Berlin City Honda, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Mac Page, and Apothecary by Design. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Kelly Chase. Our assistant producer is Emily Davis. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Bellisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at lovemainradio.com.